We at Stake almost exclusively work with sort of those everyday Americans. They like make thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. A lot of them, sixty-five percent of them, in fact, have more money in their Stake checking account than they do in any other bank account. Last week, somebody told us that they were saving up for a new smartphone. You know, we kind of ask people what they're saving for. So we dropped three hundred dollars into his account to like help them buy the phone. You know, he was just like so grateful. And little moments like that, I guess, where you can see like how much potential we have to make a big positive impact in so many people's lives. My name is Jimmy Jacobson, and I'm the co-founder and director of engineering at Stake. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Jimmy Jacobson created a way for you as the renter to get paid cash back for paying your rent. All this and more on Code Story. Jimmy Jacobson grew up in Snoqualmie, about 45 minutes east of Seattle, Washington. He graduated from college in 2020 as the pandemic was breaking, but directly correlated with the pandemic, he didn't actually get to walk and receive his diploma. He hopes that'll get rescheduled soon. His first job out of school was the startup he's building now. And outside of tech, he rides mountain bikes, digging the trails at Tiger Mountain or back home in Snoqualmie. Around Seattle, he likes to hang out at parks and throw the frisbee or chill on the beaches with a late-night bonfire. Post-graduation, the job Jimmy had lined up got canceled. Last minute, he joined some alumni Slack channels and sent a cold message to his now co-founder. He found himself fascinated by the idea of giving cash back to people for paying their rent. This is the creation story of Stake. So Stake, we partner with owners and operators of multifamily, single-family student housing, really any real estate portfolio to give cash back on rent. The cash back offer sort of helps the property stand out to renters uh, in the market. Like, you know, people my age who are renting, they see 5% cash back on my biggest monthly expense. Uh, like, that's a pretty good deal. I'm going to pick that, you know, over the, the one month free offer across the street. That cash back sort of helps the property side leases faster helps maintain higher renewal rates and the renters earn the cash back when they pay their rent on time each month. So stake also helps properties reduce sort of their bad debt, reduce the delinquency at the property. So we lump all those benefits together sort of in a term we call economic vacancy. In addition to that, cashback is, um, we're positioning it really as a revenue management tool. What I mean by revenue management is asset managers are tasked with constantly optimizing the, the prices of their rental units, you know, based on a wide variety of factors. And there are products that exist out there today that, that do that, but really they're kind of limited to um, aggregated signals of like market demand. I guess the classic example of it is units that are undergoing renovation. So if there's all the one bedrooms, you know, on the first floor of a, of a building, say there's 50 of them, the ownership group decides that they'd like to replace, you know, all of the refrigerators and ovens and microwaves in the kitchens of all the units. And it takes three months. And when those units finally come back onto the market, 
you know, they've been vacant for 90 days and the current revenue management solutions see that those units have been vacant for 90 days and they suggest, you know, a really big price drop. The asset managers are kind of forced to override that because it'd be super detrimental to their, you know, their bottom line, you know, their, their GPR. Um, but they still want to create that effect of leasing up those 50 units as fast as they can. And so they can just offer a bigger cash back amount um, for a few weeks using stake. So that's sort of how we're positioning the cash back as a revenue management tool. I guess the renter value prop is, is quite clear. They get cash back on their biggest expense um, when they pay their rent on time. They can spend it on the stake debit card. They can connect their direct deposit uh, to their stake account. It's a full-fledged FDIC checking account at this point. The value prop is pretty clear for the renter, I think. I played golf in college and sort of had a job lined up uh, in the R&D department for Ping, which is uh, a golf company in Phoenix. Sort of as the pandemic broke, that got canceled. <laughs> so just kind of hopped last minute onto like some college alumni like slack channels and other groups and ended up sending a cold linkedin message to roland now my co-founder at stake i was really intrigued by the idea of giving cash back to people who rent and so started just asking him a whole bunch of questions you know and eventually said well can i you know work with you sort of the previous version of stake that roland had been working on was a little bit of a like direct-to-consumer model Roland specifically learned uh, a ton about it. He has stories of, you know, running all over the streets of Brooklyn, like helping early stake users move into their apartment, like fifth floor walk up type of stuff. But so when I joined, we kind of transitioned to like more of a B2B2C model. So we were aiming to go through uh, the properties themselves. So we built a web tool that allowed like property managers and asset managers to upload the leases of new residents that they sign in their buildings to the stake system and tell us that they would like them to receive a certain amount of monthly cash back. That tool also helped showcase how stake was cheaper and more effective than the sort of one month free type of concession that the customers were currently offering. If you've like seen, you know, the sign out front of an apartment that says, move in now, get one month free. Those are sort of the first early low hanging fruit type of, of customers at stake targeted. Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So I inherited actually um, our mobile apps. I inherited both of those code bases sort of from an outside development shop that built the very, very first version. That was very much just like a transactional app, like there was really no, not even any way to transfer the money that people were earning. We had a transactions ledger in our app that said that each person, you know, earned $50 a month, but they didn't actually have that in an account that was under their name and they couldn't transfer that. So I sort of worked solo for the first about five months, um, taking our mobile app to something that was, you know, I'd consider usable and MVP. Uh, people could transfer the cash back that they earned on rent. And then I also worked to build the MVP of our web dashboard that property managers and asset managers could use to you know, upload leases and sort of onboard residents to the stake system. So Android Studio Xcode for the mobile apps, they're Java and Swift. Our initial version of the web dashboard was just vanilla JavaScript, HTML and CSS with a Node.js backend. It's now built in React, but that was the MVP. You know, I can already tell there's going to be some decisions and trade-offs you had to make in inheriting those those apps and building building the the early version of the the web 
know, application. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make around, you know, focus or feature cut or technical debt and how you coped with those decisions. We sort of took the, the saying of do things that don't scale a little bit to heart, perhaps too much to heart at the beginning. Stake is a little bit unique in that um, we're asking people to send, you know, 5% of their monthly dollars that they're earning, 5% of their monthly revenue to Stake to pay out in cash back to their renters. Like that's a ton of money. Because of that, we're often asked to like prove beyond a shadow of a doubt our value. So like most products you buy or, you know, most com- products your company buys at work, they don't ever need to like take on the task of, you know, quantifying the value that they're bringing to your company or to you. But at stake, we're often asked, like, how much are you saving me? You know, like, prove it, basically. So we have weekly reviews with property management teams, monthly and quarterly sort of performance reviews with the asset management teams. And a lot of my time at the beginning was dedicated to, you know, manual data analysis on how stake is impacting the performance of that property. On the renter side, we had to like actually send the transfers manually. Like I think probably a hundred times, I would call my co-founder and run some scripts to pull the necessary like ACH information for a, a renter and say, okay, like yep, send three hundred and fifty dollars to like this account number. And Roland would like behind the scenes log into like our Bank of America and actually send the money. Yeah, we had a, sort of the idea of in our minds of you have to do something 25 to 50 times to make it worth automating. I don't know if um, I would lower that number. I might lower that number, I guess, going back (laughs) in time. But yeah, I guess to cope with those sort of like short-term trade-offs, just trusting that we're going to automate it eventually, get good at context switching, definitely staying focused on goals. And, you know, just remind myself that it's a long game. Try to appreciate the journey. I love that MVP story. I love the manual process, kind of the ability to create this illusion in the front that everything's automated, but you and your co-founder are really sprinting behind the scenes to to prove the value prop. I, I think that's great. I think that's really great. Okay, then, so from that point, you've got your MVP. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And, and I think, to put that in a box a little bit, I'm curious how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build. I guess as far as how the product has progressed and how we've matured it, um, like I said, the initial versions of the stake mobile apps were very transactional. You know, people were, were logging in once a month when they earned their reward and they were transferring it to their bank. And so we are, are really hoping you know, to build like a long-term loyalty platform for those properties. And so we're trying to make, you know, the stake app as sticky as possible and be much more than just sort of a transactional experience. So we actually launched uh, like full-fledged FDIC insured checking accounts. We worked with a banking as a service provider to launch uh, a stake debit card that our users can order with just a couple taps in the app, as well as the ability to connect their direct deposit. Um, They can log in with their payroll platform and switch the destination of their paycheck to their stake checking account. Our renters earn 5% cash back on all purchases for the first 90 days. So that's a pretty good opportunity for them to take advantage of a rather unmatched um, offer. So that's sort of how we've progressed on the mobile app side. On the web dashboard side for the property teams, 
we have rolled out a whole bunch of features really to kind of capture unprecedented resident data. You know, we have visibility towards the spending patterns of the renters that live in the property, and we aggregate and anonymize that information to sort of display to the property management teams. You know, here is the aggregated spending behavior of your renters. You know, it's a、uh, data that they've really never seen before. It provides a whole bunch of pretty cool unlocks for them. You know, if they're looking to roll out、uh, a marketing campaign or something like that, it's easy for them to. Log into Loyalty Cloud is what we call our web dashboard, and see you know what grocery store in town their renters typically shop at, or who their insurance providers are, or who you know who they buy their their phone bill from. So things like that are really unmatched and things that property management teams have never seen before. In terms of roadmap, we run a typical agile process. I guess we run. Three-week sprints. I know some companies do two. We go with three. We prioritize things based on a combination of level of effort and you know strategic alignment, sort of hitting company key results and things like that. We definitely try to go for lower hanging fruit first. We've always done that. I think you know whatever's going to make the biggest impact as fast as possible is what we go for. And then we are pretty rigorous about creating like user journeys, user funnels. Making sure that the features we build are addressing the biggest bottlenecks、uh, in those, you know, user journeys. What are you using behind the scenes to enable the card creation? You know, the the banking part of it for your for the individuals. Are, are you using some sort of banking as a service? Yeah, we are. We're using、uh, a banking as a service provider called Unit、um, Unit Co. They are、uh, another fintech startup, so yeah, they have a lot of that functionality for us out of the box. Okay, then. So let's switch to team. You know, how did you go about building your team, and, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? We've been somewhat opportunistic, I would say, with our team building process. Initially, stake was. Very strapped for cash, and so actually, the the first employee that we hired after Roland and I was my roommate at the time. Shout out Joe if you're listening. From there, we've sort of you know continued to be opportunistic. We hired a、uh, former colleague of Roland's who he knew and worked with previously in his management consulting gig, Liam, who's become our、uh, VP of growth. He is you know excellent. You know we basically tried to. Find people that we've worked with in our past lives and past jobs, and put them in the best position to succeed、um, at stake. It's always important to us to find people who definitely believe strongly the mission of like what we're up to at stake. We're hoping to build wealth for everyday American renters. Yeah, we look for that that mission alignment when we're hiring as well. well let's flip to scalability then. So. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow? And, and given the the manual、uh, money transfer story earlier, I kind of <laughs> know where you're going to go. But but tell me about scalability. It's a bit of both, I would say. Like you know, we obviously try to have an eye towards、uh, scaling efficiently and being conscious of like our own team members' time. So when things like that transfer get too cumbersome, we basically just have a quick fire drill and force ourselves to automate it. But we definitely were fighting it、uh, a little bit. I can attribute that to a lot, just some inherent like roadblocks that exist in the 
prop tech industry and the, the world of real estate and property management. For example, we don't want to ask our property management customers to upload you know, every single lease that they sign to our system on top of the other systems that they already have to upload that to. Um, so they all have their own property management software. And a lot of the property management software is pretty old and antiquated, <laughs> not uh, your typical like REST API that you would you know enjoy building stuff with. And but we were forced to integrate with those. Um, and you know initially even we were just starting out. We're nowhere close to significant in the industry. Nobody would sponsor us. Uh, the property management software, you know, partnerships teams. They wouldn't even respond to they like wouldn't even respond to our emails so we've had to build workarounds sort of like 35 excel spreadsheets of a rent roll get dropped into an email inbox like every day and we've built manual parsers to like grab all of those resident records and add them to our system so little hacks and workarounds like that is the way that we've been fighting the scalability issues and now we're sort of building and have built a couple of those you know full-fledged integrations with the property management software APIs, which is gonna be a lot better. But again, that took, you know, a year and a half. <laughs> well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think the couple of things I'll highlight first is the difference that we make like in the lives of our residents. I saw a tweet a few weeks ago that said like some Wharton school grad was asked what the average salary was in the US and said like 100k or something like that. I'm 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 probably botching that that quote. It's hard for a lot of people in tech to understand like the true average American and like what that means, I think. We at stake almost exclusively work with sort of those everyday Americans. They like make 30 to 40,000 dollars a year. A lot of them, 65% of them, in fact, have more money in their stake checking account than they do in any other bank account, which we can verify because we have visibility into those other accounts. And the customer testimonials that we get from those residents, we also try to do like little surprise and delight gifts. So last week, somebody told us that they were saving up for a new smartphone. You know, we kind of ask people what they're saving for with their monthly cash back that they earn from stake. And he told us he was saving for a new smartphone. And so we dropped $300 into his account to like help them buy the phone. You know, he was just like so grateful. And little moments like that, I guess, where you can see like how much potential we have to make a big positive impact in so many people's lives. As we get closer to our long-term vision, those are definitely some of the moments I'm most proud of. And then also just the connections with like teammates, honestly, um, like waking up every day and working for eight plus hours um, with the same people for years plus, you know, I feel like a lot of the people I'm working with at stake have become, you know, lifelong friends. Yeah, I just really appreciate all the people uh, I work with. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We don't have a ton of great automated testing at stake. That's probably a mistake that I've made, like architecturally and strategically. Like we have opted for progress on user facing features instead of protecting that developer experience and building comprehensive automated testing. So I honestly apologize for that upfront to all of the candidates that we hire or like in any final interview, I, I sort of say like, hey, by the way, we don't have great automated testing are you okay with that? <laughs> and like, what sort of strategies will you use to combat that sort of ongoing in the day-to-day -day job? The, I guess the team responds with, you know, understanding 
of course they say like, whew, I think we should probably build more robust automated testing. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? The next six months, we are planning to finish up our integrations with the rest of those property management software providers that our customers are using. Definitely going to use that data to sort of expand and hone in on our core value proposition, if you will, which is more cash back for the renter and outperformance and revenue management for the property. So we're planning to hire some some data savvy you know, engineers, customer success representatives, and other team members to help build and train our customers on how to use it, and then build and train you know a, a, an intelligent system that can predict what the right cash back offer is for each individual goal that the property owner might have at their property, whether that's you know signing new leases, signing renewals. You know we've even given rewards for uh, like little side maintenance projects in single family homes, like changing the air filter, you know, customized little um, revenue management models for each of those individual campaigns is what we call them. Definitely something in the mid medium term roadmap. And then at the same time, scale sort of our growth team. Um, we have a pretty, a pretty long sales cycle. Like, like I said, we're asking people to send us, you know, 5% of their revenue on a monthly basis. They definitely like don't proceed without being 100% convinced. So hiring some more sales reps, some more sort of account executive type of roles. And then once we achieve that, we are always focused, but we'll, you know, bring an additional focus on the the renter and sort of giving them additional value adds into the app, you know, ancillary features like security deposits, renter's insurance, deals on shopping with their state debit card at local retailers, things like that. Well, Jimmy, let's switch to you. So, so who influences the way that you work? You know, name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to and why. Stakes head of design, who is actually also my cousin. Uh, his name is Dylan. I look up to the way he works because I think his intuition about the way that humans engage with technology is almost always spot on. Like every time we're building any feature in our mobile app, or in our web dashboard. Dylan's intuition about how people will use it or whether or not they will use it or what you know specific pixel will like frustrate them or block them is almost always spot on. So I love the way that he understands like naturally the way that humans interact with technology um, at work and personally. I also love the way Dylan's really good at never like taking anything that somebody tells him as truth. Like he always goes and verifies things he always like finds evidence before making any kind of concrete assertions about the world. And I think that's um, super admirable and a powerful way to, to live your life, I think. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? A much bigger like planning session, I think, is, uh, is what I'll, what I'll, what I'll say. I think startups are like inherently in the business of change. Planning out maybe like our process a little bit more is what I mean. Um, I think we could have dedicated time, you know, in our weekly sprint um, or in, you know, our quarterly sort of product process to removing features that um, we launch that go largely, you know, unused. I would like try to foresee some things that look like a good idea at first, but like potentially have uh, like a confusing future kind of waiting around the corner. 
So I would, I would try to avoid things like that. And then I know we previously talked about doing things that don't scale and that stake sort of took that to heart at the beginning. I think if I could go back to the beginning, I would do less of that, frankly. I think I would try to automate things a little bit faster, you know, maybe instead of doing things 25 times before automating them, maybe just, you know, five or 10 in an effort to free up, you know, my own time, my engineer's time, team member time to, you know, innovate more. Um, so those are a couple of things I would do different if I could go back to the beginning. Well, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Or maybe maybe it's on the ferry. Oh, gosh, I would, I would frankly ask, you know, every question I, I possibly could about the product that they're showing me or, you know, the, the idea. Hopefully they'd be willing to tell me I I love like talking to other entrepreneurs and asking them, you know, the, the details of the, the problem in the world that they're trying to solve and how they've experienced that themselves. So I try to understand as much as I could. But then in terms of advice, I think I would tell them to try to recognize the way that like you as an entrepreneur work or like if it's, a, if it's an engineer, I would say try to recognize the way that you work, like understand, you know, your natural inclinations around how you like work on a day-to-day basis and try to build, you know, your own role in your company. If you're going to build a company, uh, build your own role in your product. If you're going to build like just a, a small SaaS product that you can manage alone, you know, build your role around the way that you work. And if you're going to hire a team, build your team around the way that you work. I guess for me, like I love starting things and making like tangible progress fast. So the first time I work on something, the first time I sit down and try to write code for a new feature is usually the most productive session I'll ever have building that feature. And so now I've sort of like tried to hack my own, you know, work patterns and leave my projects in a state where like I'm excited to sit back down and get back to them and like sit down and in the first 10 minutes of of coding, you know, make good tangible progress. So that's just a way that I've sort of learned to recognize the way that I work and build you know, my own patterns uh, and roll around that. So that's the advice I'd give. Great advice. Jimmy, thank you for being on the show today. And, and thank you for telling the creation story of Steak. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.